0: this morning, I feel like i 'm talking to a i 'm um, talking in the dark but um, that 's one way I feel um, but I feel like i 'm talking to uh, a lot of people who have um, gotten a word from God um, I feel like a lot of people in this room uh, we've we 've hosted um, You know, people that move in the prophetic. I I know that you seek the word and you seek the Lord for yourself. And I I feel like I'm in a room of people that have um, gotten a word from God over your life. You know what God has called you to do. I feel like I'm in a room of people that are, that confidently know that God has called you to something specific. I don't think there's any confusion in a lot of our minds about that. But I think I'm in a room of people where maybe... We haven't stepped out in that yet where we haven't. Maybe God is calling us to something and it just seems too big. Maybe it seems like we're not ready. Maybe it seems like maybe God mistook us for someone else. I don't know what the the thing is, but I feel like I'm in a room of people that haven't yet stepped into what God has called them to be and to do fully. Uh, I know that I'm in a church where, um, talking about our pastor, Pastor Cricket, you know, I was, we were called, we were in, uh, when we were in uh, Kentucky, we were working in a church there, Um, we were moving back here um, as things go in church, in in the church world, you know, um, things didn't work out there, and so, um, we're on our way back to to Arkansas. Pastor Cricket called us and said, hey, you know, why don't y'all come by and talk to me? And so we came by and he said, um, do y'all, would y'all be uh, interested in, in, in doing youth ministry here at the church? And uh, my first response um, was, uh, um, no, uh, we're, we're, we're done with youth ministry. But we prayed about it and we just really knew that God was connecting us here in whatever uh, aspect in whatever way, and so we came here. But here's what I was—I was only vaguely aware of at the time. And uh, can I can I do something? I, I y'all know I am like so. I don't know why this is here. I'm so, I am so anal. I just cannot. I cannot even focus. Anyway, because um, I'm just like everybody on Facebook sees that now. Everybody on Facebook really knows. I'm um, messed up. Um, anyway, so. Um, What I didn't know, what I wasn't aware of at that time, was that what had gone into this church before we got here. I feel like we've been here for a long time, and we have. It seems like and some of you, you've been here for a long time. But I want you to know that this church was carried in our pastor's heart for years before it was ever conceived, before it was ever birthed here. In fact, y'all know the story, maybe, that that Pastor Cricket uh, would go to... um, Pastor Jerry and Pastor Lane, his, his parents are, are, are lead pastors and, and would say, hey, I want to plant a church in El Dorado. And they kept saying, wait, wait, wait. And the reason they were saying wait is because there was a, they knew by the spirit there was an, a, a demonic uh, attack that would come. There was a demonic spirit here that had to be broken. People would come down. Uh, pastor McRae, who was here, uh, and Pastor and Pastor Donald, they were here just a couple of weeks ago. Um, they would come down here and they would pray, 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 pray. And uh, so much went into this church being here. And it's because that we serve under a pastor who is a pioneer. He's a trailblazer. He's a, he, he, he's, he chooses to be uncomfortable in life to be able to do everything that God has put in his heart to do. And he was sitting on radio, and I believe that he would have blazed ahead. You know, that's why we all, even our pastors have pastors, because I believe he would have blazed ahead right into whatever to plant this church here. And that's just who he is. And I know that I'm in a place personally that I could have never been in under any other ministry because I've always been kind of a, a clammed up kind of a person and kind of a withdrawn person. And he's completely the extreme opposite. And so he's really helped to pull me farther out into what God has called me And I really know that God has put in something, is putting something together. If you look around and you say, well, I just don't know what God is doing or whatever, just look at who he's got uh, leading the way. Just look at Pastor Cricket and know, oh no, this is going to be big. Uh, Pastor Cricket's not going to have anything to do with it unless it's going to be big. So, um, so just have confidence in that. And then. Because I want to talk to you a little bit today about that. I want to talk to you about how God is calling us and how we're entering into a season of pushing beyond where we are, of pushing into the unknown and being like Peter. So, so, so Jesus said, Peter, uh, Peter <laughs> here's the thing about Peter, Peter did not wait for Jesus to say something to him. He said, Lord, if it's you bid me come, and he said, come, and Peter came. And that's the way we need to live our life. And so what if he would have said, yeah, but first you're going to have to give me inflatable shoes, or first you're going to have to build a little boardwalk out there. First, these things have to fall into place before I can do that. All he needed was the word. All he needed was a one word from God, because within every word that God gives you and has given you is the power to complete it contained within the word. It's not just, just like I would come up to you and I would say, I hope you're having a nice day. You know, that's m- my word. It's powerless, you know. But when Jesus gives you a word, there is power within it to contain it. When God said, let there be light, he didn't, he didn't wait around for all the pieces. The pieces came together because it was within the word that he spoke. The power was there to complete what he said. But here's the thing. I know I'm going right and hot and heavy, so y'all just bear with me. Um, the thing is, is uh, we think that God is going to stiff arm us to get it done. But where he's not. The reason that a lot of the things that God has promised you and promised me have not come to pass is because he's waiting on us to join and partner our will that he's given us with his vision and actually step out onto nothing. He's expecting us without faith. It is impossible to please God. So if God had given Peter and, you know, inflatable shoes, it would have not been faith anymore and there would have been no lesson in it and God would have gotten no glory out of it and we wouldn't even read that story and think anything. Of it today, but God is asking us to have faith. God is asking us to step out, even when things are not conducive to what He's telling us to do. So let's go to Philippians three, verse eight. We're going to start reading there. This is going to be our key verse. This is going. To, we're going to read uh, uh, six, seven verses. <clears throat> so y'all bear with me. He says this. We're going to read now the NLT. So it says. He says, yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself. I'm going to stop right there and let that sink in for a minute. God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. What role do I have to play in this thing? God, I want to please you. I want to please you. I'm going I'm to do all these things and I'm just going to work, work, work. And I'm going to please you and I'm going to be right with you. I'm going to do better next time. And he, what Paul is saying here is... That his way of making us right with himself only needs one thing from you, and that's faith. I want to know Christ, Paul says, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. And right there, we're like, whoa, 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 I'm out. Paul is like, no, I'm all in. And that's what we need to say this morning is I don't care. I don't care what it looks like in the future. It's like the disciples said, he said, will you also abandon me? And they said, we have nowhere else to go. You alone have the words of life. It doesn't matter what the future holds because there's only one future for us. So he said, um, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. That word perfection, in case you don't know, is the word complete. In the original language, it's the word complete. I I am not complete. I am not a finished work. I have not reached completion yet. Um, He said, but I press on to possess that completion or perfection, uh, that perfection or completion for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not Achieved it. But I focus on one thing. Everybody say one thing. one thing. I said I focus on one thing. This one thing. Forgetting the past. Everybody say that to you. Forgetting the past. That's first key. That's the, that's the part that... We, I mean, that's step one, guys. And we, we got to get that right. So forgetting the past and looking forward. Everybody say looking forward. To what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let us, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. In other words, if you're really spiritually mature, you agree with me, is what he's saying. He's so confident in this. He said, and if you disagree on some point, he said, I believe God will make it plain to you. And what he's saying is, God is going to back me up on this. I got this from God. God is going to back me up on this. So, um, So he's confident in this, that he received this from God. This morning uh, the message, the the title of my message is drafting Jesus. And um, I know that's a kind of an off off beat kind of a title but is anybody in here a NASCAR fan? There was not anybody in the early service either. I don't know who the, I don't know I don't I don't know who their fans are. If they're not in Dorado, Arkansas, I don't know where they are. Um, but um, Mississippi, I guess. But uh, there's a thing in NASCAR. I'm not a NASCAR fan either, uh, far from it. Um, I'm not. A, is, is Jose in here this morning? Jose's not here. Okay. I'm talking about soccer. Soccer is uh, one of the one of the most frustrating, boring. I won't watch it. I will not watch soccer. You know why? Because they are. They exert more energy to do less than any sport in the world. They they go go go, run run run, kick back back back, and. And they get so close, and oh, it's, it's blocked, you know. And then they get back again. It's so frustrating to watch. I mean, you watch it for like, an, I don't know, how long is a soccer game? Two hours? I don't know. It seems like a long time. And there's like one to zero at the end. It's just like, that's ridiculous. Same thing as hockey. NASCAR is the same way, though. It's just a bunch of cars going in a circle forever, around and around and around and around. And every once in a while, somebody slips out a little bit, and they almost pass, but not quite. It's just, it's just like, what is the point of this? And the only satisfaction we get out of it is there's a horrible crash, which is awful. It's so awful because that's not even the point. That's not even the goal. That's the only reason people watch NASCAR, I think, is just to see a big crash, which says something about them, I think. But it's like, and that's not even the point. If they wreck, they're out of the race, you know, and so there's, they don't, they're not trying to wreck. But if they if they got points for wrecking, I think I would watch it. I think maybe that would make sense. Anyway... So NASCAR, I don't, I'm not a fan. It doesn't make sense to me. But there's something in NASCAR that I know about that's called drafting. And uh, I'll tell you, the reason that uh, drafting is important is because another pointless thing about NASCAR is that they're only allowed a certain amount of horsepower. They're only allowed the – everybody has the same thing. They have a different brand on the front, but it's exactly the same car. So it has, nothing to, it has nothing to do with the car. So, they're, of course, they can't pass each other. They're all running wide open, you know. And so the only chance that they have to pass each other is to do what's called drafting. And it's actually where they get behind the wind stream of another car. And they're able to gain one, two, three miles per hour more. And then they can pull out and use that momentum to pass somebody on the inside. So that's the way drafting works. But a lot of us in the church, we've lived our life drafting Jesus. We've lived our life following Jesus, which is important. But we're following him at such a distance. And the purpose that we're following him for is just so all the pieces fall into place. And to get into a place that's comfortable where we don't have to exert much energy. It's like God has given us a race car in our life. And we use it to go out on Sunday morning for a scenic drive. You know, that's what that's the way we live our Christian life. That's how we use what God has given us is we show up on church for our little sun, Sunday scenic drive. And then we go, you know, back home and we never start it up again. And God has given you everything that you need to do more than you can even imagine with your life. Every word that he's given you, you say, well, it's too big. It's too big. Within that word is everything you need. What does he need from you? He needs faith. He needs you to trust that He can do it. He needs your will to agree with His vision. That's what he needs. he needs you to step out of the boat and say, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And He'll say, come. And then you've got to step out of the boat, even though there's nothing there. So, uh, maybe maybe the reason that we, we're always... Uh, Trailing behind Jesus so far and everything. Maybe it's something noble, like we're, uh, you know, we're walking in humility. We don't want to get ahead of God. You know, all those reasons and everything that sound really noble. But for me, it wasn't, it's, not, it's still, it's not like that. For me, it's fear. I'm afraid that if I step out and do this and it fails, that me and Jesus will both look bad. <laughs> I'm afraid, and really just me, I'm honest, you can be honest, it, you know, i throw Jesus in there to make it sound more noble, but I'm just afraid of it, of it not working. I'm afraid that I'm going to step out, I'm going to pray for somebody to be healed in front of everybody and nothing's going to happen. You know, we have these, we have fears in our relationship with God and what he's called us to do. Fear is something we have to deal with because it's the opposite of faith. Faith is just doing what he says. Fear is questioning about whether or not it's going to work, how it's going to play out. Fear is actually taking responsibility for what God has already done. It's taking responsibility for the outcome, and He alone carries that should carry that responsibility. So, um, But either way, whether it's a good, noble reason or it's not, I believe that this is a new season. I believe that this is a season of pressing in, that this is a season of, of, of pushing in, and I, I know a lot of it has to do with, Um, just the urgency of the time that we're in. But I know a lot of it has to do with something that God has shared with me specifically, and I've already shared this some, but um, a couple of Saturdays ago, I I was up. It was like 2.30 in the morning, and before I, I went back to sleep, I said, God, I haven't heard from you as in a dream or anything like that for a while. I went through a season where I was just dreaming every night, every night. And I was just journaling and everything. It was like, God, you know, you're just speaking to me so much. And then all of a sudden it was like somebody shut off the spigot, you know, and it was like nothing. So God, I'd I, I really like to hear from you in my sleep. And because that's the only time my mind, I think my mind shuts down enough for God to really talk to me. And I woke up with a start. I think it was six thirty-seven o'clock or something on Saturday morning. And it was ringing in my ears, resonating in my head, the words, press against the anointing. Totally out of the blue and just like so convicting. You know, when you get a word from God because it connects and it was so convicting and in my mind there was even an image of of God pushing through the earth and it was like there was a bubble around almost like you would see a wind or like a, if you could see the wind stream that a car would make and he was pushing through the earth and there was a, a this this bubble that was around him and it had this long tail behind it because he's pushing forward and i and i in my in my vision i saw myself back there in the little tail of that thing just riding along and I knew that the Holy Spirit was saying, get up here and push against this thing with me. And that seems pretentious, doesn't it? It's like, but God, that's your job. You're the way maker, right? You're the one that's, that's doing this thing. I'm just, and it's just like, you know, and I just felt this conviction. And the Holy Spirit didn't say this, but I said this to myself. What is my purpose in this? What am I? Am I just along for the ride here? God, what are you? What are you? What are you going to do? What? Are, why? How are you using me if I'm just coasting along and just and not in this thing? So, I had these questions that I believe the Holy Spirit really did pose to me, um, and that's uh, this: Why am I sitting around here waiting with so many promises already made? God has made so many promises to me about so many things, and. And I'm just sitting around here waiting. What am I waiting on? Am I waiting on uh, the word? No, the word's already been given. I'll tell you what I'm waiting on. I'm waiting on for it to become easy. I'm waiting for the pieces to come together. I'm waiting for the money to hit the bank account. I'm waiting for someone to call and just miraculously, whatever. And I I I just want you to say, okay, God, confirm that. Confirm that for me. And then, okay, just confirm it one more time. You know, and that's biblical. That actually happened in the Bible. But I don't think that that's God's perfect way of doing things where we're just like, okay, God, can you confirm it one more time? Can you, because here's the thing. If you want a confirmation for God's word, you just want to be sure that it's God. Okay, that's fine. But if, you just, if you're just stalling <laughs> and you want God to make it comfortable for you to make that decision, then... I think we're off base in that. So why am I sitting around? The other question that I believe the Holy Spirit was posing to me was, do I still not trust him? He's asked me to do this. It seems too hard. Do I still not trust him to do what he said? I've been in this. I've been at this for a while. I mean, I was saved when I when I was uh, like seven or eight years old. Um, I was I was going to shake the hands of this. This couple that just got engaged like they do in the Baptist church, you know, at the end. Instead of an altar call, you go around and shake somebody's hand because they just got a promotion or got engaged. I don't know. And uh, so I'm going around. I'm shaking their hand and everything. And the preacher, the pastor, who I didn't know, had talked to my, my parents before and realized I had never gotten saved. So I wasn't asked if I wanted to get saved. I actually had two firm hands on my shoulders that forced me into the altar, and I got saved. Repeat after me you know, and it was done and I'm in the kingdom. And, um, so, and then, you know, about 16 years old, I figured out I needed Jesus. And that's when I think I got saved. Um, so, um, but anyway, and so, um, (laughs) so do I still not trust him? Yeah, I've been at this a while. So do I still not trust him? Do I still, is my confidence still not In Him. Is my confidence still in the things of this world? Or is it in Him? Am I still on the fence with Him? Is He still waiting on me to get this done? And guys, I want to tell you, God is super patient. I mean, He's super gracious. I mean, He wants to use you so bad that He will wait and wait and wait. And it's just amazing that I can come back to God and it's just like, okay, let's go again. You know, okay, let's uh, let's do what I've called you. So, Or maybe here's the thing that, that really resonated with me the most. Do I think that God has little plans because it involves me? Guys, so many times we say, God, you can do anything. But if you're going to involve me in this thing, it's going to take it down a notch. Because I can't do what you can do. Oh, man, the whole the, the, what Paul was saying in this in this, this this scripture, it it rings so true because he's saying that all he needs is your faith, all he needs is your will to join with his vision, and he does it. Did you know this? Did you know that he gets no glory from something that you don't need him for? If you don't need him and you get you can do it, he gets no glory. I think God sometimes gets tired of us getting all the glory for something you know he gives us a promise, and we wait until it's easy for us to accomplish it. What glory does he get out of that? But if we step out on the water and we can walk on water to Jesus, yeah. except that He gets all the glory. So we think that he has little plans because it involves us. I mean, what if Peter would have said, you know, but Lord, you know, I think. (laughs) So, you know, if you're going to bring me out there, you know, I may pull you down with me, you know, or something. Uh, This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. It says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Can anybody except me put yourself in that scripture? (laughs) Can anybody... You know, it's uh, I think a a lot of us who think that we, you know, have it all together and, you know, we have everything that we need. I think we need to be careful because he's going to skip, you know, he's going to skip over and find somebody that he can get glory with. So I don't mind being thrown in that lot if it means that God is going to do something really great with me. If it means that God needs to get all the glory, that's fine. Because I don't want to live, go through my life and, and get what I can get out of life. I want to go through life and get what he has for me in life and what only he can do in my life. So, um, so he chose the things, despised the world, things County as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. So he gets no glory in what we don't need him for. He gets no glory in us being comfortable with what he's called us to do. The only way that God gets glory in a situation, if he's called you into a place where you say, I can't do that. And he says, yeah, that's the point. That's why I've called you to it. So when you're uncomfortable, remember this. It just means that he's in control. When you feel out of control, just remember he is in control. And so a lot of times we're with this str- we, we always strive after what's comfortable. We, wanna, we always run to. And that's why we have problems with sin, as a little side note. That's the reason that we struggle with sin over and over and over, because it's our comfort. It's our place of comfort. There's something in us that is destined to be connected with the mission of God, that's conne- destined to be connected with what God has for us. And instead, it's the devil's given us some kind of a counterfeit, and we've connected it over here. And we keep running. That's why Paul said we've got to forsake the things of the past and press forward into things. It's not a halfway thing. If I forget, try to forget the sin don't, sin. don't sin. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't sin. And I come over here. I still have this vacuum for what for the genuine thing. I still have this vacuum to accomplish what God has put me here to do. And so instead of doing that, we just get rid of the sin, get rid of the sin, and then we just keep gravitating back, gravitating back. But God is, Paul. God through Paul is calling us to forsake that. But then connect it with the real thing. And so um, we got to get to a place where we are comfortable with uncomfortable. We got to get to a place where we're okay with being out of control, that we're okay with things being uncomfortable. The old song says where faith uh, becomes our sight. But what the song is actually talking about is going to heaven. And we sing that song when I was growing up. Uh, Lord, haste the day when my, was it my faith shall be sight. you remember that song? And here we've lived our life longing for the day when our faith, but we haven't even gotten to a place where our sight has become faith. We're still living here on the earth by sight, which is what gets us into a lot of sin, habitual sin. But we're still living on the earth here, trusting in what we see. We want to see it first. But God said you can't even please him without faith. What you see and what you, what you, what you need to come together for you doesn't give him any glory. So he needs your faith. So trust has to replace my need for control. His big vision has, has to replace uh, my need for control. James 4 verse 13 says this. It says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town. We're going to stay there for a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans. And also boasting is evil. Everybody say Evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Amen. See, we've gotten so wrapped up in this day. We, we, we pray like my kids pray. Lord, just help me have a good day. That's what my kids pray when, when they're little. They, they prayed, and Lord, help us, have, uh, help us to have a good day. Amen. See, we've made all of our own plans and we we expect God to just bless this thing. We expect God to make life easy for us and comfortable. And this is just um, kind of like almost like a heavenly fortune cookie that we give from just wanting God to help us live our life to actually dedicating our life to what He's actually put us here to do. God, here's the thing you may not know. The thing you may not know is that when you look around and you see that the, the trees what do they do? They absorb carbon dioxide, which all the other living beings exhale, and then they exhale oxygen, which all we need to br- is what we need to breathe. you know, the soil, the rain, the, the, the weather cycles, the sun, the moon. everything that you look at that was created by God has a divine and very uh, articulate purpose. And then we look at ourselves and say, but do I have a purpose? Did you not do you not know that everything that you see that he has made was made for you? And that if you're here and he if you're here, it's because he thought of you just like the word of God says. And he designed you in his mind like a like a like an engineer and he designed you. For a specific purpose, for a specific time, place. And yes, to be around all those people that you're around. He designed you and he put you there for a reason. He designed you. They said he knit you together in your mother's womb. And you're here for a reason. And so, if you have that divine purpose, we cannot continue to live our life like we have none. We cannot continue to live our life like... Um, like he has nothing prepared for us. Um, so it's, it's like we've been given the keys. God has given us the keys to a, a really fast race car. And what we, all that we can think to do with this race car is to take a Sunday morning drive and go sightseeing. And just enjoy life with the top down. That's what we do with what God has given us. But within what God has given you is everything you need to do great exploits for God. So God is calling you to all these things and he's given you everything that you need. We're going to take communion at the end. And the, the way that God has revealed that to me is that he's given you the blood. You are now in right standing with God. You have to choose the blood. You have to choose salvation. But He he has made you right with God. But He's given you His body. He's given you the bread. He's given you His body. And within the body is everything that you need here on the earth. It's health. It's wholeness. It's completion. It's what Paul called perfection. Everything that you need is within the body. So... Um. Here's the thing that a lot of people would say. A lot of people would say this. I am not good enough to represent God like that. And I feel like that a lot of times. I am not enough to represent God like that. And you say, well, I'm not as good as them. And can I tell you something? All of their good matters just as much to God as all of your not good. It's all in the same lot. You can't be good enough. The the Bible says that no flesh can glory in the presence of God. So if I do everything right, that doesn't earn me any more with God than you doing everything wrong. We're all in the same lot, So we've got to stop comparing ourselves with they've got it all together and they can do this for God. And I can't because I've got all this baggage. I've got all this stuff that I'm dealing with. Um, God is not searching for perfect people. I can just let you off the hook right now this morning. God is not looking for perfect people. In fact, if you think you're perfect, you're just the kind of person that it just said, um, in this previous scripture that we read, you're the kind of person that, that would probably get looked over if you say, well, I've got it all together. Well, God can't get any glory with you. So, um, so he's not looking for perfect people. Here's what it says in Second Chron- Chronicles 16, uh, let's read verse 9. It says, the eyes of the Lord, let's go on to the next scripture. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The Bible says that he is looking over all the earth, looking for one thing. He's, and it's not, hey, they're doing everything right. They're kind of close to perfect. I think I'll use them because they won't mess it all up. It says that's not what he's looking for. It said he's searching the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. to him. He's looking for somebody who is fully committed. That is the qualification. He's looking for somebody who won't give up. He's looking for somebody who's going to fall and get back up and fall and get back up. And can I tell you something? I don't know how many times over the years I've fallen, but I've gotten back up. And I don't know how many times you've fallen and it doesn't really matter. The point is you're here today and you've gotten back up and you're still qualified. You are still qualified just because you have not given up. He's looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That 's the reason we read in the Word of God where people mess up and and we see brokenness and we say we see and then immediately followed by restoration you say i 'm not good enough, well no one is good enough that 's the whole point of jesus so he 's looking for people who won't quit he 's looking for people who will grow just a little bit more every day and you say well i 've still got so far to go I say this I say, if you think that I'm really bad today. You should have seen me yesterday. You should have seen me last week, last year, ten years from go. I would have uh, ten years ago. I would have been embarrassed for you to meet me. You know what I'm saying? Let's stop looking ahead and saying I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But if we look back and we say, "Wow, I've been really growing. It's been tough." I've done a lot of falling down, but I've grown. Um, he's looking for people who grow a little bit more every day. People whose hearts are fully committed to him. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy named, I'm not going to say his name because I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he does this business thing that I watch on Facebook and these little snippets. But uh, he talks about the difference between failing and falling. He's talking about in, in corporate in the corporate world, in work. We use the word failing. Oh, they failed. They failed. Everything's failed. Fail. 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 And he said, failing is a, a lot like the word cancer because he said, You'll go to um, the doctor and the doctor says, I'm sorry, but you only have a few weeks to live. You have stage four terminal cancer and you only have uh, a, little, a little bit of time. That's cancer. He said, But some of us would go to the doctor and the doctor says, Hey, you got a little spot there on your eye. And uh, that's that's melanoma. We're going to have to burn that off. That's also cancer. You're going to be just fine. We're just going to take that off. Those both things are cancer. That's the way we look at failing. You know, we just lump it all in the same boat. Oh, I failed. I failed. I failed. And we're so hard on ourselves like that. But the thing about falling is what he says. He's the thing about falling is perfectly natural. He said, if you've if you've never done anything strenuous, then you've probably never fallen. But if you fail, if you fall a lot, it's because you're, you're doing a lot of things. And he said in a, in a work culture, if you like if somebody gets fired for messing up, just because they messed up, you're going to create a culture where everybody is afraid to try. Everyone is afraid to venture out. And it's going to create a culture of mediocrity and comfort. And let's just keep our jobs. And I feel like that's the way we, we see things in the church a lot of times. Let's just keep our salvation. Because if we venture out, we may mess this thing up. And I want to tell you something. That is not the culture that God has created. And you can look at the mercy and the grace of God on your life over the years. And you know that's not God. You know that God is not going to fire somebody. the first time they mess up. That he's not going to kick them off the team. All he's looking for. It's persistence. All he's looking for is someone who will utilize the blood that cost him so dearly to utilize that, put that to good use, and get up again. So um, yeah, So we say, I'm not good enough to represent. Another th- excuse that we use a lot is, what if I get ahead of God? And that's, a, that's the one that sounds a lot more holy. What if I get ahead of God? And I want to talk to you out of uh, read Hebrews chapter 11, Real quick, and I want to talk about uh, what the Bible says about Moses. Now, this isn't, the, this isn't the, uh, the record of Moses that we find in the Old Testament. This is the recollection of Moses in the New Testament. This is what Moses was known for. So it says this, it says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. Now, did you notice there was something left out of this story. There was something left out of this recollection of Moses. What was left out was what? It was, he killed an Egyptian. He killed an Egyptian. And it it doesn't even mention that. By faith, he did this. By faith, he did that. And then he killed that Egyptian. And that set him back a little bit. But then, by faith, he got back up. And, you know, it doesn't even... The the record does not even remember this in Hebrews. There's no mention of that. So I want to encourage you this morning to stop freaking out about messing up God's plan because Moses killed the Egyptian, but why did he kill the Egyptian? Yes, it was wrong. Yes, it was a great sin. It was a crime. I mean, he should... uh, But what was in his heart to do that? The same thing that was in his heart to do what God called him to do. He did not know. See, that's what I was talking about, sin. And that's a whole other rabbit trail. But God, God was putting something in his heart, a passion in his heart for the people. And he saw one being mistreated. And he lashed out. And we would say he got ahead of God. Right? We say, yeah, it cost him. He had to go out in the wilderness for a long time. You know what he did out in the wilderness? You know why he went out in the wilderness? You know you know who met him in the wilderness? It got ahead of God. But it drove him face with him. And when he came face to face with God, God did not uh, lash out at him. You know what God said in so many words? Let me explain the passion that's in your heart to you. Let me explain what I've called you to do. See, I, I'm going to back this up in a minute. But, um, um But we freak out about messing up God's plan. So the same passion that caused Moses to what we would say, jack it all up, uh, brought him face to face with God so God could explain the passion that was in his heart and how it tied to his purpose. See, this is God's response to Moses. God's response was, this is me. This is me. This is you. He explained him his purpose. And he said, now, go represent me. He revealed himself, which in turn, he God, he revealed, God revealed himself to him, but in turn. Off. And I said, now go represent me. Can I tell you that? Relax. Relax. Grace is enough when you are fully committed. When your heart is fully committed, relax. His grace is enough. We see God as, a, as a, that boss is going to fire us at the first failure, even though we're fully dedicated to the company. But that's not who he is. Um, we've got to trust him to be better than that. We've got to know that he's better than that. The safest place has never been in doing everything right and getting everything right. It's where we're just closest to his heart. And I, I went um, still kind of actually um, I get f- afraid of being on the front lines. Because we all know what happens on the front lines, right? Yeah. So we get afraid of being on the front lines, or I do, because I don't want to have a big target on my back. Right. I don't want the enemy to see me as too much of a threat. Um, and so I, I struggle with that a lot of times, but you know what God revealed to me in that in that vision, that, that Saturday morning, a couple Saturdays ago, what God revealed to me, The question was, where are you safer? Are you are you safer back here? Straggling behind what I'm doing. Are you safer up here with me? Up here at the front with me. And what God, what the the Holy Spirit revealed to me is that there is no safer place. You know, he, the devil goes around seeking whom he may devour. Just like we see in the wild watching the nature videos that they pick off the stragglers. They pick off the ones that are outside the pack. you know, the herd. And God is saying, you are not, can't be any safer than you are up here with me doing what I'm doing. Pressing against the anointing. Fully involved in what I'm doing. So where we're closest to his heart. You can never work yourself into right standing with God anyway. And that's why you can be doing everything right and still be wrong like the Pharisees. The Pharisees did did everything right, but they were completely wrong and they completely missed God and what God was doing. But you can get it wrong and still be right like Moses. Moses, what he did was wrong, but he was still right with God. So... It's not about that. We've got to get our focus off, off those things. So he didn't say, will the Son of Man, the Bible doesn't say, will the Son of Man find perfection on the earth? He said, will he find faith? So our deeds and what we do doesn't position us in the kingdom of God. Our heart does. You can do everything right. But if your heart is right, if your heart is right with him, That is what positions you in the kingdom. Jeremiah 17.10. I'm going to go real deep right before we close. Jeremiah 17.10 says this. It says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Everybody say, search the heart. And test the mind. Everybody say, test the mind. To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit, and everybody say, "fruit," fruit of his deeds. When I've always read this, I read it this way. He searches my heart, and examines my motive, and he gives me my reward according to what I've done. And that's not right. I think I got this in the wrong translation, but it says, it, it says the fruit of his deeds in the King James. It says, according to the fruit of his deeds. So number one, he searches my heart. Number two, he tests my mind. And that word is kill y'all. That means um, uh, emotions or affections. I thought that was good. He searches my heart. He tests my emotions and my affections. To give according to his ways. And that word is direct, which is direction. According to his direction, the fruit of his deeds. Not his deeds, the fruit of his deeds. He's searching my mind. He's testing my heart. And that's how he rewards me according to the fruit of my deeds. Do you understand that he's not waiting for the fruit? He's not waiting for you to do it right. Let's read it one more time. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. Why? To give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So he's not waiting for the fruit. He's he's testing the heart. Or searching the heart. Testing the mind to give. So it goes from your heart and your mind to the direction of your life to the fruit of what you've done. So... We always pray, you know, know, God, you see me rolling? You see me doing all this? I'll just answer that for him. No. No, he doesn't see you rolling. He doesn't see you doing that. He sees your heart. He sees your heart. He tests your mind. He rewards your your fruit according to that. So, and I want somebody, somebody in here is going to, to, to really hear what I'm about to say. And I want this to sink in. He wants to reward your fruit but to do so he's looking at your heart. He wants to reward the fruit of what you what you do. But to do so he's looking he's only looking at your heart. So he can see your heart and he can reward the fruit before it's ever even evident to you. That's powerful. And that takes all the pressure. I want you to hear that because that takes all the pressure off of you. All the pressure off of your performance. He's looking at your heart and he's judging the fruit of it Because where else are you going to? The waitress is like, no, it's just, you know, because of, you know, they're serving the country. You know, I want to pay for them. Else. So I said, just bring me their check. So she brought me the check and, uh, and I was just like waiting for me to say something else. I was like, don't tell them who it was. And, who, and so um, she was like, OK. And I was just like, that was weird. And so she walked back and everything. And um, and then she came back just a, maybe like two minutes later. And she said, I did it. I told them I told them who, that you did it. And I was like, no. And, and then everything just got really weird and awkward. And it's just like, why would I even, why would I do that? Why would I make sure that for her to tell them who did it? I mean, just that's so dumb. I was just an idiot. I felt like an idiot. And then they came over and they're like, Thank you. You know, you're supposed to be doing this to honor them. And then they come over to dirt and someone um, in need. The right hand was reserved to show honor. So, what it's actually saying is, Don't let your flesh. Know what your right hand, or what's reserved to show honor, is doing. It's not with our works that we run the race. It's with our heart, yeah. guys. It's um, we, we when we're doing our works of honor, when we're doing uh, what, what we, whatever we do with the right hand, metaphorically, you know, our works of honor and everything like that. We can't get it intermingled with the with the left, which is the works of the flesh. We can't say, we we can't um, we can't get those mixed up. He wants to run the race. It's with our heart. And when God is saying press against the anointing, when he's telling me, and I think he's in turn telling you, uh, when when he's saying press against the anointing, he's not talking about doing uh, what he's doing, even though that's a product of it. He's saying, I want you to see what I see. I want you to feel what I feel. He said, take my yoke upon you. He's saying, feel what I feel, see what I see, come up here with me and look at what I'm looking at. He's calling us to love what He loves and hate what He hates. He's calling us to be one with Him. He's calling our hearts to be unified with His heart. And that's what communion is all about. So this morning... Um, If you you received your communion, we're going to close out by taking communion this morning. Communion is all about becoming one with Jesus. It's not about, that word remember is not just about recollecting. Recollect, don't forget me. You know, that's not what Jesus was saying. It's much deeper. He's saying, Be one with me in this. So, if everybody, these are a little tricky, but everybody open the top, mess your bread, and and you open underneath that, and that's your juice. let read this real quick in Mark uh, fourteen verse twenty two. Mallory, do you have that? We're going to read this. It says, "As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it." Everybody, just say, "Everybody, say some bread." <laughs> didn't say the bread, the very special bread that he anointed and carried around. With. He just took some bread, and that's that's that says so much in itself. He took some bread and He blessed it. Then He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take it. Everybody say, Take it. For this is my body. Let's keep reading. And He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And He gave it to them and they all drank from it. Let's keep going. And He said to them, This is my blood. Which confirms the covenant between God and His people. That's what I was trying to get to in the early service. It was right there. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I wanted you to notice the words that He said, take it. He didn't walk around and put it in their mouth. And I know that's how some denominations do it. But He, gave, he said, take it. You know how you get saved? How you get saved? You take it. And you say, I want to be saved and we accept salvation. By act of our will, we accept salvation. That's the blood. The blood was shed to make us right with God. That's what it says. The blood was shed to make us right with God. We have to accept that for salvation. But there's also the body. What is the body? The body is everything you need for your life. The body is for health, for wholeness. The body is everything that you need. So, and he passed around it the same way and he, he said, take it. Guys, a lot of us, we got the blood thing right. And we, you know, we, we've accepted salvation. We've accepted uh, the blood. But there's still the body. He still wants to provide everything that you need to do what he's called you to do. Italy as the blood hid in his body sickness disease and even even we don't we don't even go there but even God do you remember when I did that because he's like no remember my blood that I shed I don't remember that I shed my blood for that of his blood, we don't have to work for it anymore.